Hello, my name is David Castleman. I'm the founder and CEO of Ecoflix, the world's first not-for-profit streaming video service, where 100% of our subscription fees go directly to fund animal welfare NGOs around the world. Welcome to the Ecoflix podcast, where I have the opportunity to talk with some of the most inspiring people in the world. Every one of them share amazing insights into how we can all make a difference in the fight to save animals and our planet. I think they're amazing and fascinating. I hope you do too. In this episode, I spend time with Chris Desai, founder of You Ocean. Chris literally quit his job to dedicate his life to saving our oceans. He started a worldwide movement to clean and protect them for future generations. His is a truly remarkable story full of passion, commitment, information, and inspiration. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Welcome, everybody. I'd like to introduce you today to Chris Desai, the founder and global project director of UOcean 2050. It's an amazing organization whose mission is to clean, protect, and restore the world's oceans by 2050. What an amazing and important project. Their initial goal is to remove 1 billion kilos of ocean plastics by 2030. That's 2.2 billion pounds, slightly over 2 billion tons of plastic, which represents, sadly, only 1% of the world's ocean plastics. Chris is an inspiring individual, and I think you'll be amazed and motivated by his selfless decision to devote himself to the planet in this way. I'm very excited to introduce him to you. Chris, welcome to Ecoflix. Thank you for having me. So great to have you with us today. Uh, now you're based in the UK, right? Yeah. Where in specific? So I'm based between London and a place called Leicester, which is in the East Midlands. The Leicester Tigers. Yep, David Attenborough, Leicester Tigers. There you go. Now, your your organization has basically three steps that uh, is built on the idea of uh, cleaning, educating, and legislating. What does that all mean? Well, David, when we looked at the whole entirety of ocean plastics and, you know, the climate crisis that the, the world's facing... We thought, you know, we'll start off with a cleanup. You know, it's accessible. People like to get outdoors, you know, and kind of do their part for the world. But we soon found that actually cleaning up was only one part of it because otherwise we're just cleaning up, then there's pollution, cleaning up, then there's pollution. It was a vicious cycle. So we thought, you know, how can we kind of do it in a tiered approach that we can actually hit all the targets? So it's not just cleaning up. If we're cleaning up, then we need to educate. So we educate the next generation, so therefore we can miss a gap, you know, to stop the actual pollution from happening in the next next generation. And then after that, we thought, okay, so what do we do about this current generation? Because there's always going to be people out there that just do not see the significance, you know, in stopping ocean plastics and all the things that attaches itself to that. So we thought legislation has to be the only way. You know, it's like if you tell someone, you inform them, you educate them, and they still refuse to comply. 
then the only way to do it would be legislation. So that's how we came up with, you know, clean up, educate, legislate. So therefore, it's an all encompassing methodology that would kind of hopefully give the greatest impact for us clean up our cleanup efforts that yeah. then it would be protected. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And with the lofty goals you're talking about, it's going to take a whole series of steps. I agree. Now, I think most people would assume to take on a project of this dimension, which is kind of breathtaking, really, in scope, people would think that you're financially independent, you've got time to travel the world, uh, and dedicate yourself in this way. Is that is that the case? Uh, have you... Are, are I, wish you it was, I wish it was. <laughs> your middle name's not Bezos? Not just yet. It will be. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I kind of did it backwards because what I found a lot of the time, especially, you know, being in the corporate world, which I, I was in before, you know, in I was actually in high fashion and fast fashion, which is one of the biggest polluting industries, you know, and adds to ocean plastics significantly. I found that in that world, it was very much like people get, gained lots of money and then grew a conscience, you know, as they get older. You know, I think in a in awe of you know, the gods just to, to forgive them for their life of, you know, pollution. And I thought to myself, I don't want to live like that. And I'm, I'm a firm believer, you know, even like as Gandhi kind of taught, that you only have to start a single flame and that could set a whole, you know, world on fire. So what I did is did it completely backwards. I was like, I'm not going to gain a conscience after I've done, you know, my part. I thought, let me do my part and then work on it as I go along because that's what new sustainability needs to be it needs to be a generation of people saying look I may not have much I may not have you know these billions of pounds but actually I can change the world and that's what I did I mean I started off myself with a single litter picker um and I started going out there you know on our local rivers on our local beaches and yeah as we'll explain you know that story has just lit so many fires on the way that now you know we're we're burning hot um but yeah people generally think that you know he's self-made he's done this he's done that and it's like you don't have to be that in order to change the world well i think that's a good lesson and it's a very inspiring story but i have to tell you that in fairness to the my generation really uh a lot of us have done a lot of things over the years but the difference really is not that you're committed or you're not committed until you're older it's that you don't have the time and that you, you like you said, they're working full time. And even if they're not just focused on money, maybe it's raising family and other things, it's very hard to dedicate yourself really almost full time, if, if not full time, to a project like this. And you have kids. Um, how are you managing that? Um, 100 hour weeks. <laughs> to be honest, it's, it's a mix of both. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a husband, I'm a father, you know, I have two children. And it's very much like, I have to manage my time miraculously. It is so scheduled, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, we have 33 sites at the moment around the world that I have to manage um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So we have to kind of prepare and educate all of our volunteers and everyone that works with us to be independent that we can invest that training, we invest that time. But, you know, if you're efficient with your time, therefore you can actually, you know, manage manage that. But yeah, it's, 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 it's ridiculously hard work. But for me, it's a no brainer because I'm not doing this for myself. 
you know, I'm doing this for my children. I'm doing this for my planet, for my my fellow brothers and sisters, as as one would say. That you know, I can't. I don't think we have the the time to kind of say, let me do a little bit, maybe a little bit in that respect. I think you know, maybe before fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, it was you know, it, it wasn't so pressing. And I think now, you know, science has brought it to the spotlight, and we're we're looking at the climate, going, oh wow. How is our future going to be? You know, biodiversity loss, ocean plastics, you know, the collapsing just of our ecosystems that I can't afford not to do this. So, you know, I've made, you know, huge sacrifices in my life. You know, if I'd stuck with my career, I'd be in a completely different position now. But one, would I be happy? No. Would I have felt that I've actually given something to the world? Would I felt that I've given something to my children? to be able to protect this world you know what would be the point in me earning millions of pounds and then my children can't go in the ocean or they can't breathe the air or that we can't grow food in the ground it's completely illogical well it's a difficult choice that's for sure and uh, family is always a very important consideration balancing work and family so this is as i say an amazing decision and i'm curious how you decided to tackle oceans there's so many different challenges we face. I mean, you, you could have gone off probably in eight directions and had the same urgency about them. What what about oceans drew you in? Um, to be honest, this is where I just believe that I didn't personally just choose oceans. I didn't wake up one day and go, I want to save the ocean. I've loved the ocean since I was I was born. Um, even though, so where I'm from, this place called Leicester, we are a landlocked county. Um, so we're actually the furthest away from the sea than anywhere in England. So it's kind of ironic that, you know, someone that's never, you know, grown up on the beach loves the ocean so much. But my mother is a sailor. My grandfather, her dad was a sailor. So I'm three generations of sailors in. So we would sail on every, you know, lake we could find. We would go to the coast at every single opportunity. And, I, you know, I think I was one years old the first time my mum put me in the ocean and just washed me. And I kind of, you know, I think that was my baptism in that respect. So I feel that I've just been connected to the ocean. It's not something that I've personally just chosen, but I've always felt a connection every time I'm around, around the water. I believe it's, you know, it's, it's, it's conscious, it's alive. Yeah, it certainly is. And my background today is in honor of your choice. Um, the whales and the surfers all appreciate what you're doing. So when did you actually start uh uocean 2050 yeah so i started two and three quarters of a year ago so near just coming up three years ago mm -hmm. and how'd you settle on the name um to be honest so a bit of a, an explanation here when i was looking at starting the project you know i'd kind of came to the point in my life where i was like i'm not happy doing what i'm doing and I say this to everyone that I felt like such a hypocrite that I love the ocean. I've always been involved in, you know, hiking, sailing, whatever it may be outdoors. And that even though I said I love this, you know, environment, my lifestyle represented nothing of the kind. You know, I was not protecting the ocean. I was not living my life in accordance with protecting the ocean. And it got to the point where I just said enough's enough. Um, and a bit of a backstory on that, actually, I took six months out. So I left the job that I was in for uh, nine years. Um, I was at the the top of my, my career in that respect. I was an art director. 
So there was only the directors above me. And I just kind of, you know, I'd completed it and still felt so empty and so lost. Um, and then, yeah, so I left. And then when it came to the deciding factors, I went sailing. I thought the only thing that, you know, I felt right in my heart was to, to be at sea. Um, that turned into a six month journey on a sailing yacht, uh, which in, I did 4,000 miles just wow. around the UK. Um, so you can imagine it's quite a few times. Um, and it just, when I was on the boat, I had this moment that I kind of just knew what I needed to do. I felt connected. I felt disconnected from the world as such, you know, no mobile phones, no laptops. <laughs> and I really just felt in tune for the first time in my life. And then it kind of dawned on me. I thought, okay, how can I use my skills from my job set, you know, managing people, managing supply chains, managing global operations. And that's when we started to figure out, okay, what's the best course of action? Let's leave it natural. So there's room for growth, but how can I make this impactful? Because I think people and planet have to exist together. There's no getting away, right? One goes, the other one dies. So I thought to myself, you know, who is it that can save the ocean? Is it, you know, corporates? Is it me? Is it people in Africa or India? And one of the, I had an experience in my early years when I was 14 and I was traveling across India on, on, on the only time I'd ever been, you know, it's like a holiday of a lifetime. And there was an experience that, that I kind of, I was there when it happened. And basically there was a gentleman that was driving uh, this taxi that we was in and we was all hungry so we stopped to get some food and we stopped in the middle of the night you know it was about seven hours into this journey it was a long long way and there was this half-built hotel and all they had was a kitchen and we stopped and he said oh there might be some food here we can check because there's no shops there's no you know supermarkets where we were very rural and um and they said yeah we can serve you some food so we went to sit outside on these chairs, plastic chairs, dirty, dusty, you know, around this fire. And within seconds, there was this big commotion and, and fists were flying everywhere. And, you know, I've jumped back and I was like, what has just happened? You know, we were tired, we were like, and then we basically got down to the actual nitty gritty. And the, the taxi driver, I told him, you need to eat with us. You know, we, we all eat together, right? It's a, it's a thing. Um, and he had sat down on the chair next to me and the people that worked at the hotel had basically punched him. And they said, you cannot sit on that chair because you're an, you're an untouchable. And coming from England, you know, I'm, I'm mixed race myself. I'm, I'm dual heritage. I thought I knew quite a lot about, you know, my culture and I didn't understand it. And, you know, when I kind of got to grips with it, I was like, what is going on? And someone explained to me, oh, his caste is, they're, they're called Dalits, they're called untouchables. So it means he cannot sit on that chair because someone else has to sit on that chair. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a very passionate and outspoken person. And I, I went off, you know, and I said, if he's not eating with us, if he's not sitting on the chair, we all go. Um, and eventually, you know, they came out and put a tissue on the chair. And I was like, and I took the tissue off and I was like, that is disgusting behavior. And I was like, how could you treat someone as if they're subhuman? And that memory stuck in my, in my mind for, you know, the next 20 years. Hmm. And from that, when I came to do the ocean project, I thought to myself, what people do I want to help? 
you know, what communities can I help? And I realized there's so many underprivileged and isolated communities around the world that are still, you know, to this day, not acknowledged as humans. You know, they're kind of not acknowledged as subspecies. And, and I thought to myself, do you know what? Untouchable ocean. And that's literally where it came from. And, I, and the idea was that I'm going to clean the oceans and I'm going to employ these untouchables, these Dalits, you know, scheduled castes, as they call them. I thought I'm going to employ them. I'm going to educate them. I'm going to upskill them. I'm going to empower them to actually bring change in their lives and break that generational poverty that people have, have, have put on them. And so to me, that's where it came from. Untouchable Ocean was like people and planet together. How can I clean the ocean, save the planet, save, you know, save all the creatures, save our, our atmosphere? And how also can I empower people from underprivileged communities? Because I'm an ethnic minority myself. And if I wasn't privileged enough to be born in the UK, who knows if I would have been born like that and someone would have been saying, I can't sit on a chair, I'm untouchable because of my color of my skin, because of who I am, my ancestry. I mean, it's just disgusting behavior. And for me, that was the, the be all and end all that we will work with everyone. You know, everyone is equal under conservation. You could be a Hindu, a Muslim, a Sikh, a Christian, black, white, Asian, it does not matter. You know, the planet is for us all. We have to share it, we have to co-inhabit it. And it's very much as well, like if the planet dies, we die. So there's no difference in people anyway. We'll all just be ashes. Um, and that's where it came from, Untouchable Ocean. You know, it's interesting because I think the normal reaction would be you, the person, uh, all of you should help us save the ocean. So you ocean, I thought the connection was, was that simple, but it's obviously much more uh, complex. <laughs> so tell me about your organization, uh, your support, your business supporters. How does it work? Um, so that's what I thought to myself. You know, I hadn't made it in life in that respect. And, you know, I, I left this job. I came back and I thought, how can I start it? How can I fund it? How can I make this sustainable? Um, so that's what I did. I wanted to kind of use my skill sets. So I started, I went back into fashion, but for myself. Um, and I started an, an organization, a, a, a business called Vayu. And Vayu is a, well, it is an organic, sustainable, ethical brand. Um, and we started selling t-shirts, just apparel, luxury apparel. And then from that, I was like, I can take the money from that and I can put it into a charity. From the charity, we can make impact, empower people. And that was it. That was the model. And then the UOcean project was the first project we started with the Value Foundation, which is my charity. Um, and that's that's how it kind of went. So when we make sales, we give money. Um, and obviously, I use my own personal money to fund the entire operation. Um, and the expansion has just been huge. But, you know, this is on very limited resources. This isn't millions of pounds. You know, this is only a few thousand. And we've just had to make it stretch. And then we've kind of gone into big corporates, you know, because we've been making a name for ourselves, I think, because we sing and shout and dance quite loudly <laughs> in the conservation world, because we're different. We're not the average conservationists as, as per se. You know, the first time I actually went out with a litter picker and, you know, I had my jacket on and my hat, you know, it's cold. And this lady stopped me on the river, firstly to ask me what I was doing. And I explained it. And then I only explained that I was picking plastic out of the river. And then she looked at me and said, don't worry, son, your community service will be over soon. And but you were a criminal. 
I, yeah, and I just I just didn't say anything. I just stood there awestruck, and I was like, okay, so because I'm a young person, because I'm an effort in minority, potentially, you know, because I'm out on a river doing a good thing, I am obviously not doing it for myself. I'm doing it as punishment. And that, to be honest, is one of the driving factors of my life that I thought to myself, I'm going to make sure that my face, my people, you know, these underprivileged communities as well are represented in conservation because that's when we did the branding. That's when I was like, you ocean. I was like, make it blue. I took my fashion background and made it cool and trendy. So, you know, when you see 50 of us and you see 100 of us, 175 of us along a river, there's no doubt about it. We're not doing community service. We're actually trying to save the planet. And this is Asian people, white people, black people, Chinese people, you know, Guatemalans. Like we we are the most diverse organization because we believe in being accessible and coming together for a common cause. And what does the team actually do on a day-to-day basis? How do you organize it? Everything. Um, so when we say team, there isn't even a huge team around us, like you said, because of funding in that respect and to for finances. So we have volunteer leaders that run the 33 chapters. Um, we equip them with all their equipment, their safety, you know, um, kind of assessments, things like that. And then on the team scale, you know, we've got a fundraiser. So now he works with corporates um, working on the ESG, CSR agendas. Um, no greenwashing here. We are away from it. Um, and we turn down money all the time, which is one of my biggest, you know, my regret. biggest. <laughs> it's not regret. It's, you know, we've had, we've had corporates throw hundreds of thousands of pounds, you know, our way and say, look, can you do this for us? And all it is, and when I've asked them, you know, and I will speak to the CEOs, I've sat there in boardrooms and asked them, why are you lying? And, you know, because a lot of the time they've came clean and and we've had companies say to us, we just want a good PR image. And we've just walked away from it because then we have no integrity. You know, you can't continue to pollute the world. Put us as your banner poster child and say, look what we're doing, you know, with these guys and continue to mask the damage that you're doing to the world, you know, polluting forever chemicals, virgin plastics, oil and gas exploration, deep sea mining, you know, these are the people that, you know, we need to work with, because these are the people that need to change. These are the people that have the infrastructure and the power to change, but we need them to be earnest and honest. And we're finding now more and more of these big companies are really driving change. They really are understanding because the science is there. They're understanding that they need to change. We have, they have no choice to change. So it's very much that, you know, over the last three years, it's been a big transition, I think, within the charity. And now we've started to get some real honest partners on board. Um, you know, law firms, we've got solicitors, we've got brands, um, you know, that really look at their products. What materials is it made from? Can we do a, re- you know, recycling scheme? Can we do a take back scheme? How can we, you know, refill, repurpose, reuse? So we're finding more and more companies now are driving sustainability, you know, with their products. Now, I know you're trying to hit a target by 2030, but are you using any daily, weekly, monthly, annually, uh, any kind of metrics to figure out what you've been doing? How does that yeah, work? so we weigh, we weigh every single bag of litter that we collect. So we we split it up obviously into like, you know, plastics, aluminium cans, organic in that respect, just obviously to give our most accurate figures. Um, I would say it's never going to be completely accurate just because of like water content and things like that. But we, you know, it's, it's we 
you don't need to be that's not the aim the idea is that you know we can through picking up by hand litter pickers kayaks bow boats you know we've removed a th- you know, at the minute we're over three four hundred thousand kilos uh, which could fill up many football stadiums in in crisp packets and bottles mostly um and we've realized you know very quickly that you know two years in we're nowhere near to where we need to be so then that's why last year we started to implement river barriers because we're like we need 100 tons 300 tons 500 tons at a time so all over asia now in india and in indonesia bangladesh um, we're starting to implement big river barriers across some of the most polluted rivers in the world that are collecting 30 tons 40 tons a day um, and we're finding that way we're going to hit our target by 2030 if not more does that affect the fish or the other wildlife no no so uh, we work with an open source technology as uh, a company called plastic fisher they are a german engineering company and they um they actually gave us the open source for these barriers that literally just stop the plastic on the surface uh, they only go about a foot and a half to two feet below and they've got grids on it so there's no nets it doesn't catch fish it lets plankton and it's everything continue to flow but it actually keeps back the plastic from entering the oceans brilliant that's great so uh what are, what are your current uh, thoughts about how to scale further? Are you working on going beyond uh, any particular boundaries or what's the plan for, for the future? The plan is, is just data. We just look at data. We look at, you know, what are the most polluted rivers? What are the, you know, what is it is in dire need? I mean, take, for example, in England, we had, you know, I think it was over 90% of our rivers fail pollution, chemical pollution tests you know, in, in one year. It's like the problem is, is it's a pandemic. It's everywhere. Um, but what we do look at is plastic pollution. That's our aim. You know, we're not here to save the entire world. We don't have the team or facilities or the technology half the time, you know, looking at forever chemicals and things like heavy metals, things like that. You know, that's a different ball game. So we look at plastic, we use the data, we go for the highest volume of plastic in the, you know, the most polluted countries. We then also look to, to work with their governments because obviously we need the permissions. So we work with their governments, the recycling facilities, work with legislation, education within the schools, and really make this a circular economy. Make this about the country, the people, you know, to actually be proud of their home, to create infrastructure, to, to push for infrastructure that they can recycle, or if not recycle, they can have alternatives, you know, whether it's biodegradable or compostable. But this, this actually draws us on, I think, to our early conversation about sustainability. You know, it's very easy to talk about sustainability in the Western world. You know, I've got an aluminium water bottle. Well, that's great. You know, that's, you, you know, you're doing your part. That is something I would suggest. But when you're in a slum in the middle of like Darvi or somewhere, in, you know, in Mumbai, you're living on $2 a day. You're, you're, you barely have food to eat, no medical care, no home, usually in a, in a shack or a slum. Do you think sustainability is at the forefront of their mind? Because I will tell you, for, for one, it wouldn't be on my mind. So, I would... so this is this is sort of the entry point of your use of the term sustainability paradox. Yes. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think sustainability is a paradox in itself. It's, you know, there is no right or wrong answer in, in many, many scenarios that we could say, look at, you know, look at Asia, look at India. They're the biggest polluters. They're using coal or they're using this or that. But then when there's no alternatives, what what do you say to for them to do? 
well then just freeze don't eat you know don't if you know i always give people example and i do this on our cleanups we've got a cleanup this sunday uh in leicester with the ocean leicester and you know i always do these talks where i say look we need to be more understanding about the global economy you know that we can say oh well the plastic's coming from those countries why should we care well because there's only one ocean there's not multiple oceans there's only one one planet one people no borders no difference we're all human and the fact is that pollution there will affect us here. But I will say, if you woke up tomorrow, you know, in, in sunny America and your your trash guy didn't turn up for one month, how much rubbish would you have piled at the front of your house? How stinking would it be? You know, what would happen is you would get rats, you'd get disease, you'd get infestations. So what's the easiest option if there's a nice big river just down the road? that it is like a conveyor belt it's amazing you can just straight in away from your house no smells no disease no rats no infestations it's a it's a logical answer and and you know and that's why i say that if people had a choice then it makes it much easier obviously you're always going to get some people in any country that choose not to recycle you choose not to put things in bins to drop it on the floor but you know i believe humanity ultimately is good and i believe that humanity will actually do the right thing if given this options and given the, the, the solutions you know if you're if you're thinking about how to eat every day you're not thinking about ocean plastics you know and that's why it's, it's our job and our duty to help the infrastructure in these countries to give them the options to be sustainable you can't say be sustainable and don't eat it doesn't make sense you know no. they're fighting for their survival how do you deal with public waste? A lot of public entities literally just flush things, like you say, down to the ocean. Uh, lots of rain, heavy rain in many cities produces a massive outflow to the ocean that's terrible. Uh, is that something you're dealing with? Yeah, massively. So we've just partnered, actually, with a company from New Zealand called Sea Guardian. Um, and we're putting our first trials in in the next two months in the UK. And uh, they've actually got these waste catcher nets that are going on the end of the overflow pipes. So we have a lot of rain in the UK. It rains 200 something days a year. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, every time it rains, we find a massive influx of plastic into our rivers. So we've started to implement these nets, just small things, you know, to stop the bigger pieces of plastic from getting into the water, into the rivers and out to the sea within about two weeks. You know, so but we are. Do you find impediments from the public entities when you do that, in essence, because you're interfering with their public uh, wastewater facility? No, we work in partnership with everyone because we need permission to do this. So we work with the water companies, we work with the councils, we have site permissions. You know, we do this properly. This is what my my background is is in in, in organisations and management of supply chain. That very much that we want to work with everyone you know because if we all don't work together it's a fragmented society a fragmented economy and that's why oil and gas need to work with ngos ngos need to work with governments governments need to work with the public public need to work with privatized companies everyone needs to work together and stop this stigmatization that it's us and them no it's one planet it's one people we have different ideas of how the future may look but I think one thing we can all agree on is that we want to live, you know. Yes. And you're working, it sounds very effectively on the cleanup side. 
Um, what kind of impediments have you faced on the stop the pollution in the first place side? Um, that's what we came to after the first six months when we were taking it from the from the oceans, from the beaches and the rivers. We kind of thought this is like, you know, I always give the, the example Chasing of your tail. Yeah, you're mopping up blood off an operating theater's floor without stemming the bleeding. There's no point. It's making the room cleaner, but then it will just get dirty again. So that's what, you know, drove us to want river barriers, these nets on the end of the pipes, but also more importantly, education and legislation. It, it brought us to the point where we realized there is only a limited, a finite amount of cleaning we can eventually do, but we need to stop the problem. I will say this, I wish my job didn't exist. Like seriously. <laughs> I wish my job You'd didn't probably exist. find a different related problem. So there's so much to go around. I mean, we all need to be pulling the oar hard and it's amazing what you're accomplishing. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, educational side of things? What are you doing in that area? Yeah. So like, for example, last week we were in Suffolk uh, working with a college group. So we go into the actual schools, primary schools, colleges, universities, high schools, and we actually give them projects around ocean plastics. And it's about awareness, you know, because a lot of the time, even though the younger generation are aware of there's a climate problem, they don't realize that their individual actions can cause that change. You know, so we speak to them about their clothing. You know, when you wash your plastic piece of clothing, you know, your your sports gear, whatever it may be, by washing it without a filter around the bag, it's 7 million plastic particles into your waterways. You know, we speak about, are you buying a bottle of fizzy pop every single day? Is there a way you could buy a water bottle and, you know, a, a reusable one and have water? Good for your health, good for the environment. You know, it's not about being perfect because trust me, I am far from perfect. It's about everyone being imperfectly sustainable. You know, why you don't want to reach 100% sustainability because I don't think it exists yet but I believe that if 7 billion people on this planet removed themselves you know consumers made that choice that I'm not going to buy my fruit in plastic packaging I'm going to email this company and say like Amazon I don't want you know all of this plastic packaging I don't want this and you know you're starting to see companies change they're using more sustainable methods more recyclable methods and it's about it's about that. It's about educating school children, primary school children in the sim simple things. And then also, as you get to the university side, it's, you know, we do a lot of talks to sixth form. We call it in the UK just before they go to university. And, you know, I will say to them, choose whatever career you like. Go with your heart, follow your passion. But in your career choice, what can you do to help save the planet? What can you implement? If you want to be an engineer, what can you engineer to clean microplastics out of the ocean? You want to be a lawyer. Can you fight for our oceans? Can you fight for marine protected areas? Can you do pro bono? Talking to yourself here, you know? It's, it's basically, what can you do in your job, your respective industry? If you're working in a cafe and you're serving coffees, what change can you make in that coffee shop? Because every single action counts. No job is more important or less important than the other. We're all, we're all equal. So for me, it's about educating, educating at every level, primary, high school, college, university. Yeah, one of our Ecoflix themes is everyone needs to be the change that you want to see. Yeah. And, and I think it sounds like we're very much paralleling in that. Let, let me understand some of 
the different challenges that you're facing, for example, educating the young who are relatively uninitiated versus the older generations that are sort of set in their ways. What kinds of things are you doing to address that difference, if you will? Yeah, I think people change at every age. I think you're right. It might be harder for someone that's been in an industry for 40 years. Um, you see that quite a lot on LinkedIn, you know, when you have your your LinkedIn firing squad <laughs> giving you, you know, shooting down your, your, your claims or whatever it may be. People are very passionate about what they believe because they've got provenance in it. You know, they've done it for a long time. And I think some people can be, if you start the conversation, you have them in a gentleman's kind of way, you know, people are open to listen, they're open to ideas. And then, you know, coming out on the cleanups, for example, we've had people, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old coming on our cleanups and they've just gone, I never realized. And, you know, they see the state of the rivers in the UK, they see the state of the rivers in the Caribbean and they're like, I've just never seen it. I didn't realize that my plastic could do this, you know, and just little things. So we've had people changing their mindsets of all ages, but industry is the hardest thing. When you've got profit behind pollution, that's one of the hardest things. And that's why I say, you know, people throw paint at buildings, people sit on motorways, you know, everyone has their own ways of protesting. And I'm not here to say what's right or wrong. I mean, everyone has their own truth. And the issue that I find is, is that you need to make what well, in my industry, in, in my background, because I can only speak for myself. If you want systematic change, if you want global change, then it needs to be incentivized. They need to be able to make money. Money makes the world go round. Money makes our organization turn, right? So what's Maybe. the answer to that? Well, that's what it is. It's, it's about having them conversations. You know, you see it in oil and gas, they're switching to renewables, hydro, wind, solar. They're still going to dominate the energy market. They're never going to give it up. Why would you give up a good thing, right? You know, you're providing energy to the world. You know, we're talking on a laptop that is comes from where you know like we need to be real about who we are what we're using and the only way they'll change is if you can incentivize it and build infrastructure we need governments to invest in infrastructure we need private companies to stop taking such massive bonuses right and invest in infrastructure in that company you know maybe it's not about expansion maybe it's about internal change maybe we need the water companies to invest in larger tanks to stop overflows storm overflows it's very inspiring stuff. And I think just modeling rather than lecturing, being the change yourself, I think is the most inspiring thing. What about the United States? Um, you, you complain a lot about Great Britain and, and my own experiences by comparison were way worse. So uh, what, what are you doing, if anything, as an organization <laughs> over here? Um, so we've got chapters. I was, it was it was quite funny when you said about be the change. Um, we've got a Uocean chapter in Oregon, so it's Uocean Oregon, um, and our our amazing amazing chapter leader Rose. She has got her own organization called Be the Change, which is mm. quite funny. Um, and she's you know she's very much believes in that. And whatever country you're in, you know America has its range of problems. You know, just like any other country, you know, I think consumption in America, you know, we find is one of the biggest problems, you know, consumption of plastic, consumption of resources. It's the overconsumption, not just the consumption. Yeah. You know, it's I think every country has its own issues. And I think 
pointing the finger and playing the blame game, you know, like we see, never works. Well, but it's not the blame game as much as sort of admitting the reality of the situation. Again, my experience in the UK is people in general are more aware, more interested, more enlightened about the planet and its concerns and issues than the people in the US. And we need people doing all kinds of things, but what you're talking about is really critically important. So I'm, I'm glad you're here and hopefully you'll expand to every state because there there is no state in the United States that doesn't need that help. No, 100%. And that's why we're, we're open to do that. We are open to work with anyone that's willing. And, you know, I'm, I'm not an economist, you know, I'm not in politics. But I think when I look at America, it's a very new country. You know, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, you know, uh, for example, the house that I used to live in is older than America as a, <laughs> as a country. You know, so America is very new on the journey. I mean, it's a phenomenal country with phenomenal people, phenomenal research. And I've always found, you know, people from America, the people that I engage with are very enlightened, very switched on. But like you said, you've got a mass of people in every country that are still new on their journey. And, and this is one thing I've always said that I don't believe people ultimately are inherently evil like they want to hurt the world. I think people are either uneducated, misinformed, or just not there yet. They're not there on their journey. And I think they're the people that we need legislation for because they're not going to change anytime soon. But I think a lot of people, you know, the fact that you're a testament to this yourself, you know, you're an American, you're you're sitting there enlightened with this amazing organization like Ecoflix, actually making the change that we need. So I think this call in itself is self-explanatory that change is happening. Well, it's certainly happening. And there are millions of people in America. And I don't mean to criticize everybody in America. I'm just talking about in a general sense. Uh, I'll just give you an example. When I was in the UK during COP last year, um, it was commonly on the news. People were talking about world health, global uh, climate-related issues. Biodiversity was right there in the front of the, the tongue, tip of the tongue for almost all these conversations. That it was never discussed in the United States. COP was not even covered by the news. And we seldom see more than an occasional piece on sort of the check-in on where the state of the environment is at any given time. And, um, you know, I would love to help support what you're doing here, how can our listeners help? What can they do to start? Uh, should they set a volume or a weight or some other goal and start picking up plastics and trash in general? Or what do you recommend? Yeah, of course. I think anyone in America that wants to join us, that wants to actually be part of this movement to help save the oceans, um, should get in touch with us. And we can literally go step by step through, you know, like we've done in New York, like we've done in LA, like we've done in Oregon, uh, like we're doing in Florida this year. Um, you know, we will help you establish a U-Ocean chapter. We'll support you with the knowledge. We'll support you with the equipment, the fundraising, however it may be, you know, and also one of the things about U-Ocean is, you know, like you said, you and the ocean, every state will have its own set of problems. So we want Americans to address their own set of problems. You know, we don't want one problem, one solution fixes all. You know, in some counties, it might be 
they want to look at, you know, river cleanups. Some might be about beach cleanups. Some, you know, I believe that Miami just banned um, cigarettes smoking on the beach. You know, so it's one of the first states, I believe, ever to do, do that. So it's like, you know, what is it? People smoke, you know, they're on the beach, things like that. Plastic goes into the ocean, these cigarette butts. So it's like whatever chapter you want to start in what, in what um, state, it's about looking at working with you. This is your planet, your ocean, your journey, your mission. You know, coming under the banner of you ocean, because, you know, we, we hold some weight now in the environmental conservation world. If we can support you, of course we will. So we we urge everyone to get in touch, go to our website, you know, speak to us, reach out to us on socials, and we can actually look into what your problems are, what solutions are, what's going to have the most impact. Have you had um, any success looking into nanoplastics, which are a huge <laughs> problem? So I was on a I was on a, a Zoom call yesterday, actually speaking to a, a colleague of mine about this. And yeah, this is one of the things like we we look into obviously surface skimming the plastics is helpful. It stops a lot of plastic. Obviously, the majority of ocean plastic sinks. I believe they said 99% of plastic you know, then sinks and microplastics are in the water column. So, yeah, we're looking at technologies to be able to remove that, working with other partners um, and trying to implement that. It's about mitigating, you know, the, the risks. We don't want to harm the life that's in the oceans, in the rivers, that's already there. So it's about how can we have minimal impact, a minimum footprint, but also get the job done. So yeah, we're, we're looking at, we are looking at this, but just, just for now, we're looking to get our thousand barriers across these thousand rivers. Um, and we're looking to remove our billion kilos in the next eight years or seven years now. So we're on our way. We will do it. Sounds like you're on track. We're getting there. Yeah. So tell us specifically how people can join you ocean and be part of the change. Of course. Um, first thing I'd say, if you're on Instagram, Twitter, anything like that, um, just type in you ocean. Uh, what we do is we've got all the chapters on, on social. So you could put you ocean Leicester, you ocean London, you ocean St. Lucia, you ocean Indonesia, and you will be in touch then with that chapter leader. Um, obviously you ocean project is the main site. So we say send us an email at uocean.org, uocean.org. Um, go on the site, send us an email, see what we do. If it fits right with you, if it sits right with you, then get in touch. You know, if you want to sponsor us, you want to join us, um, you want to collaborate, we're open to ideas. You know, we believe that collaboration talks need to happen. You know, whether you're a multi-billion dollar company or you're a student in Arkansas, you know, it doesn't matter. Like we can all have impact. And for people who are interested in donating, are you a 501c3 in the US? Are you um, a charitable organization in the UK? How does that yes. work? Yeah, so we're a registered charity in the UK, um, 118 1313. Um, so yeah, so you can donate to us. Um, I believe I'd you can donate from any country through our website or we've got bank details we can send you. Um, and yeah, if you're an individual, donate what you can. If you can't, just your blessings are enough. Um, but yeah, corporates, they work with us on a lot of plastic offsetting and carbon offsetting uh, through blue mangroves. We've got mangrove sites around Indonesia. Um, so we can work on with companies that are really, really trying to be that change um no greenwashing here so don't even try it <laughs> um, but yeah anything else you'd like to share about 
the, how people can be a part of it, be the change, make a difference that we haven't talked about yet? Have I missed anything important? Well, I'm going to put this back to you. I think if you want to be the change, everyone needs to sign up to Ecoflex. I believe that, you know, your, 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 what you've created is groundbreaking. It's the first time anyone's ever done something like this. Um, I think it just shows how business can benefit the environment. Um, and I think to be honest, if people really want to get involved, sign up to Ecoflix and support, not just oh, support the charity that you want to support, support the organization. If it's chimpanzees, if it's giraffes, sharks, ocean plastics, just get involved because the more people on board will be, you know, an unstoppable force. Yes, it's important to know if people want to support what you're doing or any of our other nonprofit partners, all they have to do is go on Ecoflix, select you they will get 100% of the subscription fee, $3.99 a month for a year. And um, if it's if you join by the month, it's $6.99. So it makes a lot more sense to join for the year, give you the money, get a year free of Ecoflix tax deduction, and everybody wins. So Chris, thank you so much for the great work you're doing and let's, let's get it done. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please share it with your family and friends who want to join with us to truly make a difference. Remember, think big, start small, but act now. Thank you.